Hey, listener! Today, I'm starting to discuss a topic that is really dear to my heart. It's been my life experience in my personal life as well as my work life that people are the happiest when they bounce back and forth in a triangle that is happening between inspiration, motivation, and creativity. If you have one area in your life where you can bounce between those three, you are a more resilient, more hopeful person. So today I'm talking to Rafael Martinez, who I met as so many of my podcast guests this season on Clubhouse. And Rafael is hosting a room together with Anika that is called Sex on Fridays is Always Good. Now, whoa, you might be like, what does that have to do with creativity, inspiration and motivation? Well, I'm telling you, it has everything to do with those three. The topic of sex is usually a topic where <laughs> we were raised to have the most taboos, where we are raised to be the most uncomfortable. And yet we all have things that we fantasize about. And what I learned in those rooms with Anika and Rafael is that you can actually have a very adult, mature conversation about a very steamy topic without, well, oversimplifying, without made to feel embarrassed, without being afraid that you can not say out loud certain things. I've been wanting to talk to both of them, but separately, because I did not want to recreate a clubhouse room. Those two have such a beautiful dynamic going on that I didn't want to be another Anika or another Raphael. So I had to find a topic. And what I realized really quickly with Raphael is that every time we meet in those rooms and we discuss stuff, it always applies to life in general and how to live a bolder, more satisfied life. And yeah, basically it's all about how can we have a more flirty approach to life and really enjoy life in the moment and be aware of what is going on and what I'm actually wanting this moment or the next moment to lead to without feeling, well, whatever feelings come up, right? Of embarrassment, shame, taboo, overwhelm, and how to communicate that, first of all, to myself, but also with the other person that I'm experiencing it. And that's what life is all about, right? The relationship to ourselves, the relationship to other people, and what we actually get to experience together. No worries. We're not talking about sex. We're talking about inspiration, motivation, creativity. And you can then just apply it to any area in your life where you feel that speaks to you. So enjoy this episode. What does it take to build a home? What does it take to build a home away from home? And what does it take to build a home away from home you cherish so much, you would cry if you ever had to leave it behind? Hey, I'm Nick. I'm your resident interior designer. I'm a serial expat living currently in my sixth, no wait, seventh country. And I'm your humble host on this podcast that is all about creating homes that celebrate your joie de vivre. That means celebrating your joy of and your joy for life so that you'll have a place you truly feel you belong. And in this season, I will be exploring everything concerning the topic of change. Because we are post-COVID-19 and it's safe to say life has changed for all of us. 
change has been dumped on us. And I know that we all have at least one area of life that feels exhausting and overwhelming. And I know you're tired of just reacting to change. So here I am talking about all the aspects that make a home worth having. And I'm here to show you how to make change work for you. So please lean back now, relax and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Home Worth Having Podcast. Today I'm here with Rafael Martinez. And for the first time, I recorded an introduction to why I'm interviewing Rafael up front. Usually I do that hindsight, like I do it afterwards just to give the listeners a little bit of a taste of what's to come. But this time around, I did it the other way around, which is why. Raphael, you have to introduce yourself today. <laughs> Who are you and what is it you do? Fantastic. Well, thank you. Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me here. I, I really appreciate the invitation and I love going into these uh, topics. So it's a lot of fun for me to have this conversation. Um, so yes, to let you know, my name is Rafael Martinez. I was born in Colombia and grew up in New York City. And I am an artist and a life coach. And so a lot of what I do is I help people get in touch with their deeper inspiration, with their turn on, with flow states, with creativity, basically all of the stuff that we love to do that moves us, you know, that's always interested me and how to get there, how to do it, how to do it on a practical level, on a concrete level. I love that. Rafael, you know, usually I have these conversations and then... Afterwards, I give it a title, like I listen back to it. And then it's like, oh, you know, it was mainly about this. So that's the essence of the talk. And this time around, I did it the other way around. Like I have big fat on my notes that this conversation will be how to dare to flirt with life. How do you like that? <laughs> I love that. that. That's perfect, actually, because that is one of the things that I, one of the flavors of my coaching and my art is this feeling of letting that deeper part of ourselves that is playful and flirty and being willing to flirt uh, with all aspects of our lives, whether it's our purpose, our art, our creativity, or even our day-to-day -day life. Yeah. I just want to dive right into the topic. So season three is all about change. And when I think about the kind of change I go through with my clients, there are five main areas where we usually experience some kind of hiccup. Not with all clients, everything, but usually in two or three areas, there's a stumbling block or a hurdle. And those five areas are change in time, change in visibility, change in courage, change in attitude, and then change in hindsight. And what I have noticed that one of the biggest stumbling blocks is when it comes to change in attitude. And by attitude, I'm, I mean, how do we approach change? Do we approach it with the mindset of struggle or do we have a mindset of ease? I'm talking today with you because you've already taught me so much about the three things that are inspiration, motivation, and creativity. And what I noticed in life is that everybody loves inspiration everybody loves motivation and then creativity is a bit of a two-sided sword like people really love it or they're like no 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not creative and what I notice is that we treat inspiration like it's a feeling right we have this feeling of inspiration and we like it and then when we feel when we felt inspired long enough strong enough then we usually feel motivation right so 
Inspiration is what makes us think, what makes us rethink, what makes us go down the rabbit hole in a theoretical thing, like exploring with your mind. And when you've done that long enough or hard enough, intense enough, and then you see, ooh, I can actually do something, then usually motivation comes. So we start going down the rabbit hole physically of like, how can I explore this in my life? And about creativity, most people don't treat it like it's a feeling. They treat it like it's a gift, like it's a skill. And if it is a skill, then you can hone it, you can practice it, you can train it. And some people do, and a lot of people don't. And a lot of people that hire me, obviously, um, in design and getting a new perspective on how they live and how they home, they don't feel very creative. And I also noticed that, so whilst creativity is something that we all admire, and a lot like in business contexts, you know, it's being praised like creative thinking, design thinking, whatever. There's also this negative stigma to creativity as in creativity has always this element of being something unstable. Creativity is unpredictable. When does it come? When does it go? Nobody knows. You can go down the rabbit hole with creativity, but it can lead to nothing. So people have sometimes this feeling of, oh, it's a waste of time. Or you don't have a clear result. Or the result is completely subjective. Like some people will like it and some people don't. So therefore it's not quantifiable. And creativity also has a stigma. It's really hard to make a living off of it, right? Mm. Classic, the poor struggling artist, stuff like that. And my first question for you would be, do you have a definition for yourself what creativity is? And then obviously after that, uh, how do you see it, the, the triangle between inspiration, motivation, and creativity? Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, you, you hit on some really good stuff in here. Um, I think for me, the, the definition for creativity is definitely begins from that place of, of being in the unknown, you know, not knowing what's going to happen. And I think that is one of the things that's hard for people to be with. Like you said, you know, it, it, it feels unstable and unpredictable, but that is the, actually the, the unique gift that creativity has that because it's unpredictable, it can take you to places that you weren't expecting that will be solutions to what it is that you're looking for. You know, um, we always step in with this, with a certain desire, you know, like, um, we always want something. We want a particular thing and we, we turn to creativity as a, an attempt to get that. And so it's funny that you mentioned about the difference between motivation being a feeling and creativity being a skill, because I actually believe that both of them can be feelings and also be skills that can be cultivated. So our ability to feel can be cultivated. I, I firmly believe that emotional intelligence has ways in which we can practice it and cultivate it and grow our ability to uh, understand what we're feeling and comprehend what those feelings mean. And it's interesting because once you begin to work on that particular skill, creativity gets easier in some ways. Um, mainly, <laughs> it gets easier in the sense that we get more comfortable with it and we get more comfortable surrendering into it. And once we do that, its unpredictability becomes one of its greatest assets. Um, and we also learn to let go of this idea of uh, it being unreliable. Because what actually happens is, is now we begin to see the results that we get from creativity um, as fulfilling in of, them, of themselves, 
and they begin to lead us to places where they actually give us much more results than we thought was possible. But it has to be, you kind of have to let go of this idea that um, you have to get certain specific results because it, it doesn't work that way. Um, but you need the skill set of having developed emotional intelligence to be able to really f- find all of those aspects. So I love this particular uh, uh, relationship between these three things. And um, if I may take a small segue, actually, one of the things that I've learned over the, the past like four or five years has a lot to do with what's called flow states. And one of the things that I love about the study about flow states and, and all of the different people that are going deeper into it is, is that there is actually a neurological things happening when it comes to creativity, when it comes to how our brains work. And one of the things that I've seen uh, comes up in research is that when we allow ourselves to fully surrender into the sense of the unknown, into that creativity, um, some interesting things happen in the brain, like brain waves begin to combine to create specific brain waves that are new thoughts, that are creative thoughts. And like you said, most of us are used to that being a random thing, you know, like creativity being a gift that happens randomly or comes on its own and we don't understand it. But the truth is we can actually facilitate the circumstances to make that happen. And so what happens is in our brains, suddenly um, we can set it up so that these new thoughts, these new creative thoughts happen more often and happen in a way where we can be with them and cultivate them and follow them. Um, and what's interesting about that is, is that like, as we learn to do that, uh, the things that we begin to create may seem random, but they're actually not very random and they're very, very workable. Um, and one of the first things that we have to work with is our emotional intelligence, because most of us are actually uh, motivated by two things. We're either motivated by inspiration or desperation. And, uh, <laughs> and when we're motivated by desperation, um, the brain chemistry is very, very different than when we're motivated by inspiration. And so during desperation, um, fear, the fear that is motivating us to try to create and to try to find answers and to try to make things happen, in that particular uh, a conscious state actually releases certain chemicals in our brain where our brain plasticity decreases. It actually locks us into uh, previously explored thought patterns. So this is one of the things of like, we, we kind of fall back into the whatever behaviors we picked up during our development that uh, gave us the results that kept us safe, not results that were effective or not results that were creative or not results that were their best, but just results that were effective. So if it was effective for you to hide uh, as a way to avoid danger and difficult circumstances, what happens is when we are triggered and in a state of desperation or fear, we fall back into those behaviors. And, and so what happens is those places are actually incredibly difficult to find our creativity. So this becomes one of the first places where our emotional intelligence plays a role, where we, can, we, we begin to develop the ability to be able to tell that, oh, here I am, I'm trying to create something, but I'm actually in desperation. I'm in a feared space. So once we understand that our first step becomes, how do I get out of the survival mode and get into a place where I actually feel safe and emotionally stable? So then that begins to facilitate our ability to be creative for our brain to actually do that amazing stuff that it does. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree. So when I thought about interviewing you, I tried to find a definition for all three of them inspiration, motivation, and creativity. 
And creativity, when I look back on all of my experiences and personally and with my clients, then creativity for me is the willingness to explore beyond logic or feasibility. So we are sometimes so restricted in logical thinking or is it feasible, like engineering kind of, if I can build it, then it's good. If I cannot build it, then it's not good kind of thing. And creativity is that moment when you are willing to say, you know what, call it playfulness or just really the inner security of saying, you know what, I don't need to be in control of everything. Let's see where this takes me and follow the path even though there is no logic to it or there is no it's not feasible it's not doable for me whatever your project of desire is and i also noticed that when when we talk about inspiration and motivation a lot of people just treat it inspiration like it's something that happens to happen it falls into your lap at random moments right it's this unexpected gift you learned something new about something old like something that you've always known is being shed in a different light or you get a new aspect or a new point of view. And then like, oh, that is interesting. And because you feel this inner security, like there's no threat to you, then you can go down the rabbit hole of inspiration. And with motivation, it, yeah, it's definitely like with my clients, I experience that is always one of my first questions. It's like, do you need less or do you want more? Because they either come to me out of complete overwhelm, right? Fear, and they need to gain control and then I cannot, I cannot take them down the creative, the creative route of, yeah, let's design something really funky, right? That's not what they want. They're seeking control over their situation. And only if they answer, you know what, I'm actually not burned out, I'm bored out, then it's like, okay, your circumstances are so predictable, so secure, just giving you safety and security that you are now willing to go down a creative line. So I totally agree with you on that point. You know, that's interesting that you bring that up because one of the things that I, there's the, one of the things that I've learned about this flow state is that it has four different stages to it. And there's the flow state itself. Once we get into that creative state and everything begins to, to move and there's a sense of it moves with us and without us, you know, like it moves on its own. But one of the things that I think most of us don't realize is that the other three stages are also equally important to being in a flow state. And um, the two that are leading up to that flow state are struggle and then surrender. And when we're in struggle, one of the things that happens is we're gathering a lot of information, like we're gathering uh, data or knowledge, uh, we're learning, we're understanding, we're, we're gathering uh, comprehension of what the subject matter is or the tools like there's a sense of like we are doing and we're trying and going into it and and doing all the stuff and I think that's one of the places where a lot of us don't like we get frustrated we get frustrated and we have a difficult time because again we're looking for results and so it becomes a stage in where we think there's something wrong that we are in the struggle phase but in reality we're not well, we're, what our brain is actually doing is gathering all the different pieces that it needs. And then there's a moment, and you, you know, you often hear this description with, with people like Einstein or other geniuses, other people that are top of their field, that they will often have a moment of letting go. They stop trying to control the thing. They stop trying to make the thing happen. There's a deeper sense of surrender. And when they let go, our brains kind of go into the space, this state of flow. And what happens is without our 
fully conscious control, suddenly all these pieces we've been gathering, all this knowledge, all of this information we've been cultivating leading up to this moment begins to kind of move on its own. And somewhere in there, they begin to combine in unexpected ways. And then creativity happens, a new thought, a new idea. Like you said, we, we, we perceive previous information, old information from a new perspective. And that then becomes a creativity. And then it begins to move all on its own. And that's when we find ourselves in that flow state. And so it's always interesting to me that we, we don't always, we haven't really learned, or most of us haven't really learned in our society how to be with that uncomfortable place leading up to it. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I always enjoy working with clients is helping them see those moments where it's like, oh, like you said, you know, you're in overwhelm. Great. How do I take things off the plate so that I can be in that sweet spot of having just enough to do and having enough skill to do it? You know, like the, the um, relationship between our skill and the challenge reading, like how challenging is this thing I'm taking on? Because if it's too challenging, then we're overwhelmed if we don't have the skill to match it. And if our skill is that much greater than the challenge we're facing, we're, like you said, we're bored, <laughs> you know? And so learning for ourselves how to find that sweet spot where the the skill and the challenge are close to each other within that sweet spot. And I believe it's, it's uh, said to be roughly 3%. If our skill is within 3% of the challenge we're taking on, it's a lot easier to get into that flow state. And so I think it's amazing what you're saying, the work that you do with your clients, learning for ourselves how to find that sweet spot is one of the keys for consistently uh, getting into flow states and creativity. Yeah, again, I agree. So often we just have these notions of what things are. We're like We like to label stuff like struggle is bad. Mm. And it just leads me automatically to, to one of my other points is change in time. So what I notice is that as soon as people feel inspired and motivated, the relationship, like patience or impatience becomes a thing. And we label like, oh, you have to be a patient person and patience is good and impatience is bad. But I notice like the moment we feel inspired, we feel impatient, like patience goes out the window, like you want to do it right now, right? Like you're turned on and you're like, ooh, I need to do this now. And then impatience becomes this really cool thing because that is... I guess that is my trigger when I realize I hit my client's sweet spot when they start to feel impatient. That's how I know I did good work. Uh -huh. Yeah. Right? Because they all of a sudden they came to me for creativity, for being inspired. And then this inspiration becomes motivation. And then this motivation becomes, you know, this, this inner feeling, this inner urge of, okay, let's start this right now. Right. And, and yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, Thank you. Because one of the things that's interesting about being in a flow state and in that, um, that inspiration, in that rush, being in that sweet spot, in that pocket, is, is that it actually has a neurological impact on us. Whenever we're in that place, generally, there's a sense of time dilation. So time either gets faster or it gets slower beyond what we call, quote unquote, reality. And so what happens is, is that often when we're in that place, I know that for myself and for a lot of people that I've worked with, we get into that place and suddenly our internal state begins to move a lot faster than our external state. Where, and that's usually where we get impatient because we have a sense like, oh, things should be moving faster. 
because internally we are moving faster. Like our, our brain is firing off faster. The thoughts are coming. The ideas are coming. We're in that place. And one of the things that I think is interesting, and again, this goes back to emotional intelligence, is that a lot of us don't really know how to be with that differential in our emotional state. A lot of us don't know how to sit and be patient, you know, as we call it, and meaning like willing to be calm when the outside is not moving at the same speed as the inside. We think we should be moving at the same speed. And the truth is like, we don't actually have to. We just have to be aware that internally there's things going on and moving at a particular pace and that we don't necessarily have to do that in the same way on the outside. There is always a resonant relationship. And what's interesting to me is, is that oftentimes once we are willing to be comfortable, once we're willing to be with the, with the seeming disparity, some very interesting things start to happen. We, we can actually increase the, 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 the tension. So being willing to sit and move slower than your brain is moving actually adds a certain amount of energy and sense of power to the thing that you are doing. It's kind of like the stretching of a rubber band. You know, on one side, we have how the world at the time is supposedly moving. And on the other side, how our internal state is moving. And as the two get further and further apart, you begin to gather even more kinetic energy so that the mo- when the moment comes to actually release it and we let go, we have all this unpotentiated energy that we can now put towards something. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of us don't have a lot of practice in doing, but can be incredibly rewarding and fulfilling to have that sense of like, okay, I'm feeling my brain go really fast and all these ideas and everything's going on and letting ourselves churn into that and then waiting just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. And then there's a moment where we say, yes. And then we start moving and we move at the speed to catch up with this. And then it becomes incredibly rewarding and impactful in the things that we then are capable of doing. Yeah. Okay. So while you were speaking, I was thinking about past projects and, and the feedback that I got from some clients. And I agree with you. So you go down the rabbit hole mentally and then you get impatient and you start doing something and it feels incredibly rewarding because you have flow when you're just mentally working or you, then once you've done this, then comes this physical feeling of impatience. And now I need to do something physically. Mm-hmm. And when we'd work you know, with my clients in home, so they want to do the change. And then while they're doing the physical work, they get into flow as well, right? They, they might be dreading upfront the, the renovation project, but then when they're, well, they're in it, they are enjoying it at least to a certain degree, until then, again, there is this misalignment between our notion of time. Well, you know, it should go faster or wait, is it already done? Like, obviously, I like the clients that go like, oh, they, they went so quick, they want to do it again. And then they <laughs> hear me for a new project. Like, it's just fun to work like that. But you helping people with art and being an artist yourself, I was wondering, what's your, what's your take of how is change connected with visibility? as in either public or private. I mean, you you touched on this already right now, but, you know, creativity usually has some output. With you, it's art. With me, it's a nicer home. With other people, it's, I don't know, a poem written or a piece of music played or whatever. But what do you think? How important is it to have a visible element to your creativity? Thank you. That's a good question. I I think one of the things that I think a lot of us forget about visibility Uh, I think we struggle with it because I think in some ways we forget that visibility has a certain level of uh, vulnerability to it, meaning that when we 
allow what's happening on the inside to be expressed on the outside and be seen, you know, become visible, um, we open ourselves to the, to the possibility of harm. You know, the, the possibility, not necessarily the certainty, though often most of us believe there is a certainty to it. Uh, we open ourselves to the possibility of possibly being hurt, you know, either because we are rejected or because something else happens or because we impact someone else and then they retaliate or they lash back and then we get hurt, you know. And so what happens is, is that we don't often know how to be with uh, the fear and the vulnerability that comes with it. And so one of the things that I think uh, it's very important for artists is that learning what our relationship is to fear and vulnerability becomes one of the main tools that as an artist has, that an artist has to cultivate. Um, learning what our responses are to that fear and to that vulnerability, uh, we suddenly begin to see how our behaviors have developed from that perspective, from that relationship that we have. And therefore, we can begin to dismantle those behaviors for behaviors that work better for us. Because I know that a lot of us like do have the fight, flight, or freeze responses when it comes to our art and to our creativity, you know, like, we'll, and, and I think the most subtle one is definitely the flight one. Well, we were where we will very subtly deflect things or we will uh, put things out there, but only a little bit to kind of like test the waters. And so what happens is, is that in those half measures, we begin to get results where are which are based on half measures, but we take as full responses. So I might put out just uh, an idea of, of a project that I'm working on. And if people don't respond well, I take that as evidence that I shouldn't. When in reality, putting out the full thing out there will have a different impact and therefore a different result. But that doesn't compute in our brains. Instead, we, we have a, a, a different logic. We have a different way in which we respond to things. And so visibility ideally becomes a training ground. It ideally becomes a place where if we are concurrently cultivating our emotional intelligence, uh, our attempts at visibility, our, the different ways in which we put ourselves out there becomes a learning ground for us to be able to see like, oh, wow, I went to put this out there and suddenly had this flash of panic that my family might see it. And it's in that moment when suddenly that becomes information of like, oh, what is my relationship with my family? What, what got triggered in there? What is the obstacle? What is the cross wire in my system that attempts to, um, to inform my behavior? Like, is this a place where I pull back? Like I take an extra week to put something out there um, or I tune, uh, tune down Pardon me. I toned down the particular message that I was putting into my creativity because I'm afraid of the response. Like all of that becomes information that we can then begin to work with and hopefully begin to 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 uh, grow through so that we can adjust it and have more choice there. So that instead of it being a reaction, uh, uh, an unconscious uh, unconscious behavior, it can now become a conscious behavior that we can choose. It's like, oh, wow, I'm really afraid of what my family might say. And you know what? I'm willing to take that risk. I'm going to put this thing out there. And what can I do to support myself in this? Maybe I let my family know, hey, guys, just so you know, I'm about to put something really risky out there. Uh, just giving you the heads up where now they are prepared and less likely to react 
at me and their initial reaction, or I can navigate by blocking those particular people if, if, I, if I believe that they are incapable of being supportive in this particular way. You know, suddenly I begin to develop new behaviors that support me in the thing that I'm trying to do, in being creative and putting myself out there because I'm learning my emotional intelligence and supporting me in growing these new behaviors. <laughs> yeah. So while you were speaking, <laughs> so here's the thing, right? I know that I'm a creative person. I'm very creative. I, but I would never, ever call myself an artist. And that is just because I make the difference. The line between art and design for me is art is about me. Like art doesn't serve another purpose than being an expression of self. Like something within me has to get out and then other people will like it or not. And I never create art. Like I was thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm not an artist. I never create art. Um, I'm a designer. I mean, recently, just to relax myself, I've been just playing around with some colors. I created in what you can call an art piece. And it was okay. It was nice. It was, you know, it gave me satisfaction in the terms of in that moment when I needed relaxation from the stressful thoughts that I had because we're moving, right? I needed a distraction. So it served that purpose and that's fine. Is it good art? I don't know. You know, I haven't put up. It's okay. It's okay for now. Like I don't judge it or anything. Um, but then I realized I want from a new home, I want a different kind of art piece. And just because I understand so little about colors and how, you know, the medium flows on which underground, you know, whatever I'm painting on, um, I started to design this piece. That means like I really gave it a structure, like I really thought, okay, well, what do I want the end result to look like? Like there is no element of letting go in that, right? And then I reconstructed it. Okay, if I want it to look like this, I will probably have to start with this layer and with that layer and that wet layer has to be wet and this one has to dry first. So I was really, really constructing this art piece that I'm wanting to, to create. So in that case, in that sense, it's not art for me. It's a, it's a piece of design because it's very engineered. And then while I was listening to you and the feeling of putting something out there that might be a bit risky, and that brings me in touch with my vulnerability, is I guess my podcast. Because whilst I'm very comfortable talking about a lot of things, or most of my things, because otherwise I wouldn't put it out, sometimes I do have that, that feeling of if a certain person hears about this, there is a potential shitstorm on the horizon, right? <laughs> so, um, right. potential, potential, right? Some people I know, just like you, my mother tongue is not English. So their English is most likely not good enough to understand <laughs> the depth of what I just revealed. And I consider even though they are involved in this story that I'm told, it is my story. And I have the right to tell the story and I have the right to tell it from my point of view, tinted through my lenses, right? Because that's the only way I can tell the story. But yet, that's the only moment when I feel I'm in touch with my vulnerability. So now I'm sitting here thinking like, damn, maybe I should, <laughs> I should get more into this whole art thing. Um, yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting about creativity is that in it is one of those variable tools, right? Like I mentioned Einstein before, and he's uh, famously quoted as saying that like creativity is far more important than uh, knowledge or intelligence. You know, that like that is actually the, the one of the key tools that as human beings we need to be able to like be fulfilled in our world. You know, like nobody is completely fulfilled 
just by doing the same thing over and over that others have done and repeating that. Like there's an aspect of, I want to create something new, like something like that curiosity and fulfilling that curiosity becomes creativity. And so I, I think it is one of those things that every human being wants to have in some way or another. And that most of us have not learned how to cultivate, how to access that creativity and, um, and it is incredibly, incredibly important to have in all these different aspects so that we can be creative in the particular field that we enjoy and that we like. I mean, if you look at it, even on the ac academic field, right, like one of the one of the pinnacles of academia is getting your doctorate and the core piece of your doctorate is creating something new. Right, like here you've been studying how many years in a particular field and you've learned all of these things. And then at the, at the end of, of one of the big peaks in, in that path is you stand in front of a group of people to defend this new idea, to create this new thing. And so I think that in, in all the fields that we all engage in, there's a certain level of creativity that has whatever we're doing feel more fulfilling. Right. So... You mentioned at the very beginning that inspiration, motivation, and creativity, they all have the element of being a skill and some, sometimes being a skill and sometimes being a feeling. So if they are a skill, creativity, inspiration, motivation, how, how do we practice them? Is there, if you want to become a good runner, <laughs> there are certain steps that you have to do. So if you want yes. to be able to go down the willingness to explore beyond logic, and feasibility. So how do we train letting go of logic? Beautiful. That's actually a beautiful question. And it's absolutely one of the things that I have every client work with. Like whenever I start to work with artists, um, in one of the classes that I teach, one of the first skills that I make sure that every student in that class is practicing is, has to do with cultivating our emotional intelligence. Because that, that's going to be one of the key tools for developing the skills necessary for motivation and inspiration is uh, the beginning to, on the first level, just notice when you're feeling something. Notice when you're feeling a sensation on the most concrete level, like, oh, I'm feeling heat right now across my back and uh, tension in my legs that level of awareness begins the process. Because once we were able to discern that we're experiencing those things, suddenly we begin to notice like, oh, wow, I'm feeling, I'm feeling sadness. And the way it shows up in my body is heaviness in my chest and tension across my back. That level of awareness then opens the door to understanding the moments when we have those experiences. So that as we're sitting there and um, we're looking for motivation, we can ask the question like, well, I'm looking to work on this project right now and I'm having a hard time accessing my creativity and my motivation. Suddenly we can become aware that as I put my attention on this project, tension begins to build on my chest or suddenly I feel heat across my neck and our emotional intelligence begins to help us peel back the layers of what the root of these things are. And as we do that, a release starts to happen. Like I suddenly it's like, oh, wow, I felt pressure there. And it's like, oh, right. 
I, I now remember that that pressure is connected to that voice that says, if I take on this project, my family will know, or my boss won't like it, or, you know, whatever your particular set of beliefs and fears are. And so that emotional intelligence that you're, you're, you're cultivating allows you to begin to peel back those layers. And there's a certain point where the awareness of those uh, dynamics, those layers, those undercurrents begins to release them. And that becomes the, the, the second skill that um, we can then start to practice, which is surrender. That moment where we're like, oh, got it. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm afraid of what might happen. Okay, I see that now. I'm aware of it. And there's a certain surrendering to what is that then releases it. And what's interesting is the moment we release certain things, suddenly our creativity begins to kind of grow and pop open and begins to flow because we no longer have an unconscious fear that we're trying to navigate or manipulate or, or control or manage. Instead, it's a conscious thing that we can now do something about. And because it's conscious, it no longer has control over our emotional state. Once it has no control over our emotional state, our emotions can better flow. And that's when we get into creativity. That's when our motivation comes up. That's when all the stuff com comes up. And so all of this stuff is things we can practice. We can practice our awareness of the sensations in our body. And the more consistently we do that, like if, I always begin clients with at least five minutes a day, five minutes of putting a timer and then noticing the sensations in your body, not the feelings, just the sensations. Where do you feel pressure? Does it feel like there's things moving around? Does it feel like what's the temperature? Where in your body are you feeling it? And going all the way from the top to the bottom, where do I feel tension? Where do I feel relaxed? Like all of these questions of developing our awareness of our body, of the sensations we're feeling, then begins to translate and grow into our awareness of, uh, of the emotions we're feeling and where they come from and what can we do about them. And as we do that, we then get a chance to practice the surrender of the letting go that facilitates the flow state. And it also cultivates our skill in handling our fear, which is the number one thing that gets in the way of our creativity and motivation. Like, first of all, identifying like, oh, wow, I thought I was fine. But no, I actually have attention because there's this tiny little fear in the back that says, oh, my God, don't do that. <laughs> oh, mm -hmm. no, we can't do that. Right. Like the moment we become aware of it, we can begin to work with it and, and, and like peel back whatever is in there and then eventually find freedom from that, which then ultimately opens the gateway for creativity. And that that, by the way, is like one of the, the, the key things that most of us are not really aware of, that our creativity might be affected by fears we have in different parts of our lives. So if I'm having a hard time at work and I have fears and I have contracted at work, that will affect my creativity and my writing of, uh, that has nothing to do with work. You know, like we might have like a, a fight with our partner and something happens and we, we close up there, we get tight there and suddenly we're having a hard time painting or having a hard time singing. And it's exactly because of that, like, learning how to distinguish those emotions and those things we are feeling, learning to identify them, understand them and work with them that then begins to release our creativity and our access to all of that motivation. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm, I'm trying not to take notes and <laughs> not like listen to you, but I, I have to. So mm. my first thought now after what you just said is, 
creativity is basically inner security, like the knowledge that you can handle yourself mm. no matter what the situation, because you are aware, because you know that you're having a reaction, direction, where does it come from? Uh-huh. Like, right, that's the, like, it's beautiful. And in that sense, it has nothing unpredictable. When I said at the beginning of this episode that a lot of people treat creativity as this fluffy thing that happens or doesn't happen or is like super unpredictable and therefore wishy-washy and you can't rely on it. In that sense, it's exactly the opposite. Like once you basically can rely on yourself, that you have your own back, that's when you can go into creativity. I mean, yes and yes and no. Here, thank you for bringing this up because this is actually one of the subtle places that I think most of us uh, aren't fully aware of, which is that it's not so much that everything becomes safe. It's that we learn how to be with the vulnerability where it still feels vulnerable and a little bit risky and dangerous, but we learn to trust that that danger is actually desirable. You know, it's kind of like we get on a roller coaster and some part of us knows to a certain degree of certainty that we are safe being strapped into this thing, right? Like we may have like a 95%, 97% certainty that we'll be all right, but we still get on the ride because part of the experience is feeling that uncertainty and that fear of like, oh my God, I'm crawling through this thing. I'm upside down where we have the experience of danger, but we are comfortable and willing to feel that uncertainty and feel that danger. And that is what I was talking about before, about that sweet spot between the level of challenge and the level of skill, where our skill is not 100% up to the challenge, but in that level of uncertainty, in that space of uncertainty, that feeling of danger adds to the experience and it, it actually becomes one of the triggers for the creativity. So it's not that we make the world safe, it's that we learn to relate to that uncertainty and that danger in a way where we're willing to be with it. And that yeah. becomes one of the pivotal, uh, the, one of the pivotal pieces of creativity because it's in that uncertainty that something new can be created. If we are 100% certain of something, nothing new can be created. Yeah, growing hurts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I got to tell you, there's very few things quite as thrilling as that growing, as that not knowing. You know, it's just that, like you said before, it's that sweet spot before the not knowing becomes overwhelming. And how do we find that? And this is why I, I always come back to emotional intelligence, because that becomes our compass to help us navigate when we've gone too far, when we're taking on too much and it's overwhelming, and then use that information to kind of dial it back and go like, okay, this is, wow, that is way too much. Um, how can I tone some of, the, some of these things down so that I feel more within my range to actually take this thing on rather than be so completely overwhelmed by this thing? Yeah. <laughs> shit. Oh, shit. Um, I thought, I thought this conversation with you will make me feel really good about myself. <laughs> and that's not happening, Raphael. That's not happening right now. You know, it's funny because you say this and you sound like you're having fun. Yeah, look, like, you're talking, right? And when I look at my life and my friends with my history, um... I get a lot of wow and oohs and ahs from people that I meet, right? I'm a serial expat, like I'm moving so and so often. 
and people are like, oh, how can you, how can you do that? Like, you know, mm. yeah, like I get this respect from them for doing something that feels completely normal to me. <laughs> and because I'm so used to it and we're about to move again into a country where I just vaguely speak the language. So I'm going to learn this new language, which is Swedish. And I'm absolutely, it, it doesn't scare me at all. It's my sixth language. I have, I have this skill down, like it might be a new language, but I have the gist of how to learn a language. I have that down and I'm not timid or for learning to speak a language. You need to put yourself out there and put yourself in the situation of yes. getting it wrong. Right. And I'm yeah. absolutely not afraid of getting it wrong. Right. And, and <laughs> so I have this in several areas of my life where I get this respect from people. And obviously my ego is like, yeah, I know I'm so cool. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But there is a very little that I actually do that scares me. I don't go on roller coaster rides. <laughs> I'm not doing this nonsense. <laughs> right? I don't even watch thrillers or like, mm -hmm. you know, scary movies <laughs> because I just like, I can't deal with this. Like, this is not, <laughs> this is not, and I won't be sleeping. Like, I'm not, I'm just not doing it. I'm, I'm very clear with my boundaries. And now I realize that maybe I have become too good with my boundaries so mm. that even though I get all these O's and R's from other people, if I don't feel this thrill of vulnerability, mm. then maybe it's time to, to seriously change something. <laughs> well, that's invitation, right? Like, like you yeah. said, I'm not afraid of, of getting it wrong. And, and part of the, the thing that I think has us develop such, such, you know, um, uh, such boundaries is that we then learn how to have the kind of boundaries so that we're no longer afraid of getting certain things wrong, right? And, and this is the thing that, that the invitation is, is, is that can you now begin to look at your life in places where you know you have skill enough to not be afraid there, but can you now begin to seek out challenges that are just a little bit more? You know, remember 3%, 3% is actually not that big a difference. Like most of us think of like doing scary things as like, like a much bigger gap, you know, like, oh, I'm going to jump out of an airplane. But then that might actually, for some people might be like an 80, 90% difference between their skill and the challenge rating. And that becomes overwhelming. And then it just feeds our story that we can't. So the, the sweet spot is really looking at something that challenges you a little bit, but not so much that you're overwhelmed. And that's one of the biggest things that most of us don't know how to do. We think we have to take on something so completely new and that will be fulfilling. But the truth is, it doesn't have to be that drastic or that dramatic to actually add that, that uh, joie de vivre, you know, that, that thrill that adds a little bit to our life and makes it more fulfilling. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I just want to, I'm just going to call you out here and say that if I recall correctly, when you asked me to do this podcast, I remember the way like that conversation we had, that the way you were asking me, I could tell you were putting yourself out on a ledge. You were challenging yourself and to do that slightly scary thing of like, oh my God, I'm going to ask these people to, to talk about this and do this thing. And like, that's actually the kind of thrill that we want to have on a regular basis in our life. Yeah. And that's what I meant that my piece of where I, I'm in touch with my vulnerability is with my, with my podcast, with reaching out to people and record it <laughs> <laughs> and 
Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with not knowing. But I guess what's, what's sometimes scary is like when you have that mind blow moment while you're recording and then you're like strapped for words. <laughs> that's for me. That, I'm such a chatty that's, person. That's perfect. I, I love that moment. I think those are the beautiful moments. It's, it's kind of like that, that sense of like you're living in your house and you know your house. And then one day you turn a corner and you find a new door. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> what, what, is, what is this? And then you open it and you're like, oh my God, like there's this whole other room. There's this whole mm. other wing to this house. And now you get a chance to explore and be in that unknown and see what happens. No, that's how I feel when I come into the room with you and Anika on Clubhouse. That was the thing. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> um, yeah, that, that feels scary. That seriously does. But... So one other thing that came into my mind that I like to do with my clients is I like to tell them about the Bilbao effect. And I don't know if you've heard about this, but Bilbao used to be a city in Spain that was on the declining stage, like wasn't doing too well. And then Frank Geary came in, the famous architect, put this amazing building that was so out of touch with what Bilbao was like in a matter of for um, industrial city that is, you know, on the declining stage. Like I, I, let's say, let's compare it to Detroit in the US, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. And then he came and put this amazing building that everybody was like, to some degree, like, what the fuck? Like, what does this have to do, you know, here? Like this sculpture of art in, in the size of a building. And then what happened is that the entire city slowly but surely aspired to make that building the new normal. So it aspired to a quite higher quality visually, a higher quality of life, a higher quality. And I like to tell my clients that in order to get to this, like make a real change, it makes you feel good, like not just be creative, but also be feasible right? Like giving you that confidence that you can build or achieve this bigger vision that you have for yourself and for your life and how you want to live. May that be in your house or abroad, the expat experience. Where, in which area can we use this Bilbao effect? Which area of your life do we pimp up so amazingly that it feels like, wow, so much, you know, the level is so much higher, the quality, whatever, sophistication, whatever you want to call it, right? Extravaganza is so high, that it feels scary, but it is just this little tiny place inside my life or inside my space. And then the more you see it, the more normal it becomes. And the more you start adjusting the rest, the, the other 97% that isn't up to that standard, slowly but surely, because you built this confidence. So that is one thing that came up. And that leads me now to the very last point I wanted to talk to you. And that is change in hindsight. Because that's how I lead the whole Bilbao thing with my clients. Like, what would be the one thing that when you put yourself into the spot of looking back at your change? Because change can be scary because it's still, it's, it feels so much and it's all ahead of you. But we all have been through change and we know what it's like to look back at the change and feel like, oh yeah, you know, of course, it's all logic. Because it all fell into place because logically that change that lies in the past, it brought me to where I am now. So if we use this logic of imagine yourself already having done this change, what would be the logic steps? That's what I do with my clients. Do you have a particular view on, on that? Or how do you work with your clients? I know you said in a, in a pre-chat that um, just the topic of change in hindsight, that is something that you wanted to touch. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing that up because this is one of the things, again, <laughs> I feel like a broken record sometimes, but like, again, this has to do with emotional intelligence in the sense that like, 
one of the things that our brain naturally does is, is that it catalogs everything. So everything we see and we experience, it catalogs it. And then everything that is safe, it kind of pushes into the background and we're no longer aware of it. Um, but what's interesting is, is that it, it's always keeping an eye out for what's dangerous and kind of like tracking that and everything. But one of the things that uh, emotional intelligence becomes an amazing tool for is, is that we can begin to learn how to remember on a physical experiential level, how to be with danger and uncertainty and vulnerability so that it's far less overwhelming. So that what happens is that as we look back at previous experiences, not only are we looking back and having the, the logical understanding of what happened, the cognitive uh, understanding of the dynamics and what happened, we also retain the experiential uh, uh, information so that not only do we look back and go like, oh, yeah, that happened and then this happened and it turned out well. We also look back and go like, yeah, I remember that moment right before I made the decision where my whole body started shaking and my chest got tight and my hands got sweaty. And wow, like that moment. Because what happens is as we begin, we begin to cultivate the skill of retaining that, that experiential information, what happens is our brain then begins to uh, rely more on that so that the next time you're sitting there about to make a decision or wanting to step into something bigger and, and new or, or grow your life, your brain goes back to that information and goes like, oh, no, wait, we've had this experience before. We're going to be all right even though logically we may not have the information we think we need. You know, we, we may be in a situation where we're like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, like there's so much uncertainty. Like I really can't tell what's going to happen two days down the line. But this experiential information now becomes enough for us to be able to say like, well, I don't know what's going to happen there. I can tell that I'm afraid. I can tell there's a lot of uncertainty, but I know how to take that one step forward. I'm going to take that one step forward and then see what happens. You know, being on that subtle level of understanding and awareness where we can take those steps forward and keep moving forward and bringing change into our lives, that becomes one of the biggest ways in which uh, we can bring that into uh, uh into how do we move forward and how we relate to change. Because now we start to become more comfortable with change without falling into that pitfall of, oh, this is safe and push it into the background. Instead, it becomes a very active living thing that we're actively interacting with where it, 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 it becomes more alive. And interestingly, that particular uh, way of relating to the things we've experienced brings vibrancy into our daily life. Because now, as we walk through our daily life, less and less things get pushed into the background and we're instead of we're aware of the richness of what is happening now. We are present with what is happening now, and we are being guided by what is happening now without the need to know two, three, four, five steps ahead. Instead, we learn to be with just the next right step and trust there and move from there. So change becomes a much, much more pleasurable and lively thing to be with. Yeah, and that's the moment when fear, so the overwhelm of the richness of now becomes excitement. Right. And, and thank you for bringing that up, because this is one of the things that I have learned about overwhelm. Overwhelm is an inordinate amount of fears uh, being present right now. So I may have a project coming up where I'm afraid 
of the final product. I'm afraid of the impact of the final product. I'm afraid of the reaction. I'm afraid of the steps leading up to it. I'm afraid of working with my coworker to make it happen. I'm afraid of not getting all the materials that I need. I'm afraid of not getting the word out. That's where overwhelm starts to happen, where we are now attempting to be present to all of those fears right now. But the truth is, if we're willing to, if we learn how to cultivate the skill to just be present with what needs to be handled right now, we can put down all of the fears that are happening in the future and suddenly the overwhelm starts to go down because we're learning like, oh, I just have to deal with this one step right now. I can handle that one later. I can trust that I will have the skills and the resources to handle those things later or at the appropriate time instead of trying to take on all of them right now, which is where we get overwhelmed. And this becomes one of the places like our ability to relate to change and to the uncertainty right now and put everything else down becomes one of the greatest uh, skills we can cultivate to handle overwhelm. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I will listen to this back. And I, you know, you're making me work here. I know that I will not listen to it once, but twice or thrice. <laughs> having to um, resort myself about all of this. And I've had, we're up on the hour. And I like to treat my, my podcast like a resource list for people because the scariest and I think the most horrible feeling is when especially when you're an expat, or it doesn't matter if you're an expat or not. If you feel lost, if you're in a new, in some kind of waters, in some kind of depths that you feel that you can't handle, then feeling alone and lonely is, is the worst feeling. And sometimes you can't even name what it is that scares you right now. So I treat my podcast and my podcast guests as this resource list that people can, can come back to. And... You said you're a life coach and you help people with their art and their creativity. Where can people find you if they want to hear more from you and have your help? And tell us a little bit of what it is you do, what, what your specialty is, where your confidence and competence lies. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, the, the first place that people can uh, reach me is on my website, rafaelmartinezcoaching.com. That's going to be the first place people can look uh, for more information about the things that I do, uh, specifically around my coaching, the work that I do with artists, uh, and even my art. You can find my art in there as well. Um, but the other big place you can find me is in social media uh, on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, if you look up my name, Rafael Martinez, you, you will find me there. Uh, the links are also on my website, so you can find my social media through there. And I will tell you right now that like, I always invite people to reach out to me when you're, you're in one of those positions, when you're in one of those situations, when you feel overwhelmed, you feel like you're alone, you feel like you're having a hard time. Um, because the number one thing that I do with people is I help you find your way home. I help you find your way back to that flow state, to that, that state of being you where you are at your most brilliant, where you are your most connected with, your, with yourself. Because what happens is once you are connected to that, you, you are actually capable of, of figuring it out, figuring out whatever your difficulty is. So I don't have to come in and give you advice on how to get out of your situation. I just have to support you in being connected to that brilliant part of you. And that brilliant part of you, which may surprise a lot of people, that part of you actually knows how to find our way out. 
all we, uh, most of the time, all we need is just an extra hand, an extra pair of eyes to help us remember who we are. And I'll tell you, this is actually something that I do for myself. Like I have friends, I have a, a coach as well. I have support as well that helps me remember who I am. And then from that place, I can take on just about anything that happens. And so that is the main thing that I do. So if at any point anyone finds themselves in that feeling, in that place, reach out to me, uh, especially through social media. I, I am very, very active on there. And we can have a conversation. We can see, one, how I can support you in that moment. And two, how I can support you in long term, if that feels like the resonant thing. And then we can figure out like what support system, what structures, what tools, what things we can add to your life to help you be more of that brilliant self that can handle anything that comes your way. Oh, it's such a good tagline. <laughs> I, I help you find your way home. Oh, wow. That's a good one. I will steal that. No, I will not steal that. I like to say I will help you remember who you wanted to be. Uh-huh. That's that's what I like to say, like you know, and then um, this this playfulness of like letting all this shoulds and should nots and you know whatever, like all these societal expectations, especially as an expert. I mean, you have your culture, like your family, then your culture, and then the culture you live in, and work culture, and blah blah blah, and people take that right. and they they forget. There are so many layers and and we we forget who we are and what we're capable of. And and that to me is why this this kind of um, conversation is so important because sometimes we we do need reminding. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Like a lot of these layers that I'm so driven by, these behaviors, these these beliefs, I actually don't need them. I can actually Mm. let them go. I need some practice at letting them go, but I can ultimately let them go and be more myself and more free in this world. Yeah. 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 Because at what point, I mean, seriously, um, I think we all go into this with the best of intentions, right? Everybody wants to make a change, not for the worse, or (laughs) the purpose is not to be the same. So like, we all want to make change for the better. But sometimes we're not aware of when is it just coming through? It's some of other people's expectations coming through us or when it's like really from within us. And when I say remember who you are, it's like, you know, on the most practical base for what I do is like I help people design homes that do not post for social media. Like they do not post for anybody, like not for your boss, not for your mother-in-law, not for her chihuahua, not for, (laughs) right? Anybody but yourself, the people that live in your home, those are the ones that your home has to serve. So, yeah. Thank you, Raphael. I know this conversation is now done, but I know that I have a lot of work now ahead of me. That was that was something. Thank you. I have so much to think about, and I will sit down and make my little resume at the end. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank uh, you so I much just, for having me. I, no, wait, wait. I'm not done. I'm not done. I think I'm, <laughs> like I'm still speechless. Wait. I want to acknowledge you here for a second for showing up for giving me your time, for being so helpful and so generous with with everything that you shared. I want to invite also everybody who's listening to not only discover you through your website and this conversation, but also through Clubhouse. You are quite active on Clubhouse. Um, I talked in my intro about this, how I met you and the room that that you are having with Anika because you talked about your expertise here in regards to creativity and art, but 
that is really something that you are living and that you are sharing on all the layers that I've met you so far. So I want to, I want to acknowledge you for that. That is, that is integrity to me. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, that's definitely another place that I, I love having those conversations that um, have a lot of impact, have had a lot of impact on my life, and I hope will have a lot of impact on other people's lives. So yeah, thank you for having me here. I, I, you know, if it were up to me, everybody would have this information. And so any chance I get to share more of it, I am more mm. than happy to. My last question is always, what have I forgotten to ask you? When you look now back on this conversation, is there anything where you thought, wait, I haven't said that yet? Or she hasn't asked me that? Like, this is something that I still want to point out. Um, no, I think we touched on just about everything. It was a very thorough conversation. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to say, like, to everybody listening, just remember that this is a journey. And so compassion is always a big piece. It's like, I know it seems like you get the information and we should be like, oh my God, now I know what to do. And that by tomorrow we should be mastering it. But that's not how it works. You know, like it, it does take practice. It's like we get the information and then we practice it. And having compassion that it, it, it may not take a day, it may not take a week, it might not take a month or a year. Like I've been on this journey for 15 years and I'm still learning stuff. So having the compassion to know like, oh, wow, here I am. I'm a human being still learning how to do this human being thing. You know, that, that I think is one of the important things to remember so that we can actually have compassion for ourselves and keep going. And just to bring it back, <laughs> you just <laughs> served it on a silver platter. But that's the point of, you know, as I said, like dare to flirt with life. Flirt mm -hmm. is always something where we have this perceived danger and it's high stakes. Like there's something to lose. I mean, even if it's just our face, right? Like, but that's where we then take this flirty approach with life. When we say this is a journey and, you know, just like tap forward. And I think when we're flirty, I mean, there's a certain amount of, in certain degrees where we're like bold and putting ourselves out there. But at the same time, we're also just tiptoeing and we're realizing that it's very small steps that, that we are actually taking and yet they feel so big to us. Absolutely. And I think that's a beautiful metaphor, by the way, about flirting with life, because I think it's important to remember, remember the last time you flirted with someone. It's like, remember the outcome of that. Remember the, the benefits. Remember the like, like, let's be honest. If, if the metaphor holds and you flirt with life, who knows what you might get? Maybe you get a nice, a great date or a good kiss or like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like, I mean, like, just sometimes it's just like, you know, it, you know, eye contact and nothing big yeah. happened. Like nothing visibly has changed, but you feel so great. And you just got this moment of attention from somebody else. Mm -hmm. But you've been also, you've been also giving your attention, right? So we think like when we flirt, we get attention, but we also give attention. And when we flirt with life it's a bit more abstract. It's not, you know, life is not looking back at us. It, you know, it doesn't have a face as such, but like, it's also <laughs> it's us. slipping us our phone, their phone Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're giving life a lot of attention. And when we miss this flirty feeling, it's like, then it's because we have stopped doing things, right? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. That could be another topic for another podcast episode. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> a good flirty topic. <laughs> yes. Okay. Thank you, Rafael. That was, that was amazing. Thank you yeah, so much. My pleasure. My absolute pleasure. This was it, dear listener. I don't even know where to start to sum up this episode. There was so much in there we could dig deeper into. 
But the lesson that stood out to me is 3%. It only takes 3% of discomfort. So you can't engineer creativity because engineering is all about control and leaving no room for unpredictability. Any new creative or innovative outcome we seek is by definition unknown to us right now. So there's nothing we can predict up front. And if you want to train yourself to be the one who operates outside the norm, you have to train yourself to create your own emotional safety. Build that EQ and see yourself stretch your capability, your courage, or let's call it your comfort in being uncomfortable. Have more flow moments in your life and create that positive impatience that happens when your mind thinks faster than you actually physically can create. That is that thrill that will make life more vibrant and exciting. And remember, roughly 3% outside your comfort is what you need. Do that often enough, and with time, the 20th 3% will be multiple times more than your very first 3%. So my friend, if this inspired you, if you want more and you want to work with Raphael, make sure to discover his website and social media account. Both are below the player here. And if you found value in this episode, if this triggered something in you you want to discuss with someone else, please consider sharing this with your friends. Who is the one person that needs to hear this and would profit most of it? Remember, the A Home Worth Having podcast is all about creating belonging and finding your personal sweet spot between feeling safe and confident and that little tingle that will add the right kind of joie de vivre for you. All my guests are resources you can reach out to, and I myself am also here for you. If you have the feeling you're currently just living a second best life, book a call with me and I'll help you figure out where to simplify and let go of what is too much currently in your life so you have more space. And then where to dial it up and start that passion project that will make you feel like you're actually truly flirting with life. All right, my friend, I will talk to you again next week with my next expert who helps people wake up with good ideas. Well, if that's not a mind blower and totally inspiring, I don't know what is. So I hear you next week. Au revoir, chérie.